It's well known that Coca-Cola's original formula contained cocaine. What's less well known is that the current formula still uses part of the coca leaf, just not the part that gets you high. A plant in New Jersey is the one place in America legally allowed to process cocaine, which makes Kyle Ryan wonder, Why, 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 why is this not a movie? Hello and welcome to Why Is This Not a Movie, the podcast where we look at a moment in history or a book or a story we can rip from the headlines and ask Hollywood why no one's ever put it onto the big screen. I'm Mike Vigo, author and regular contributor to the AV Club. Before we introduce the guest, I just want to take a moment to shout out a new podcast on the Subject Podcast Network. Advanced Blockbuster Studies is a college student alumni team up discussing Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we'll cover the MCU and the blockbuster movie slash TV landscape in the streaming era in the weeks and months to come. So check that out. And now joining me this week is Kyle Ryan, who for many years wrote for and helped run both the AV Club and our sister site, The Onion, and now works in TV and film development and runs the newsletter Band Name Bureau, which is an offshoot of his delightful Worst Band Names of the Year column he used to do for AV Club. So Kyle, tell us about America's only legal cocaine processing plant and why it needs to be the scene of a heist movie. It's crazy to think that there is a place in the United States that is legally allowed to make cocaine. A lot of what you'll find about this factory or lab or whatever you want to call it goes back to a a New York Times story from 1988 that ran under the headline, How Coca-Cola Obtains Its Coca. And as you mentioned in the intro, back in the day, Coca-Cola actually had cocaine in it. It was by by no means the only drink that had cocaine in it back in the day. It really seems like in the 19th century, like cocaine was the thing to put <laughs> to put in your drink and your miracle tonics. Well, they tell uh, they medicinal value, which is the energy drink of the. I, yeah, it's like oh it, oh, it makes you alert and like oh, I bet it does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just hilarious to me. But anyway, there's a laboratory in Maywood, New Jersey, owned by this company called Pon Steppen. I don't know how you say it. But it imports coca leaves. Again, this New York Times article from 1988. So, you know, who knows how much has changed, but from uh, Peru and Bolivia. And it would take the remnant from processing coca leaves, the non-cocaine elements, and give it to Coca-Cola for the, the very famous soft drink. And then the rest of it, it would make actual cocaine to and send to a pharma company called Malincrot. They're based in St. Louis. And they would use, they would use cocaine. And for medicinal purposes, now specifically, they would use it for apparently like a local anesthetic for one source says, uh, business insider said it was for uh, eye, nose, and tear duct surgery. And it's believed to be the only license from the DEA that allows them to do this. So I did a little digging on this and people for a long time were trying to find a cocaine factory as it's known. And there's Uh, a writer named Ricardo Cortez, who wrote a book called A Secret History of Coffee, Coca, and Cola. You know, he like helped track it down, but like he wasn't, he he wrote this medium piece about like, he wasn't the first person to find it, but it was like, you can't put it into Google map. It won't like, if you put in the address, apparently it doesn't show up, but you can get like, maybe a big sign on the wall, on the door that says cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine here, arrow, flashing (laughs) arrow. Like James Woods outside panel on the door. (laughs) (laughs) and his MAGA hat, Uh, you know, you can use Google aerial views. If you kind of know where it is, you can, of course, find it. Process of elimination, sort of. Yeah. So what I'm really curious is like, and this is such like an an internet phenomenon where you find all these write-ups about this secret cocaine factory in New Jersey, and they all go back to this one source, essentially, which is this New York Times story from 1988. Part of me was like, that was 33 years ago. Who knows if this place is still doing what it ports to be doing? And I found a couple more recent stories that, that make it sound like, yes, it is still producing cocaine. 
So, you know, for our purposes here, I would say, let's just presume that this otherwise anonymous looking building in Maywood, New Jersey is producing cocaine with the approval uh, of the government. Because my first you know, thought, like, I, I live in northern New Jersey and like Maywood is pretty gentrified at this point. Like that warehouse could have been turned into like a trampoline gym for kids now. Yeah. I mean, you know, like the aerial views from Google, you can see like these big tanks in the back. And I was like, oh, and, you know, I'm just like going back like to watching Narcos and be like, oh, what would they store in there for, for their, their cocaine processing? Um, My question, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but just kind of a hypothetical question is they produce enough byproduct of the cocaine process for Coca-Cola's use. Think about how much Coca-Cola is made in a year. That exactly. So proportionally, how much cocaine are these people making? Yeah. So I thought about that too. And like there was in that story from New York Times, it said it varies. Uh, during the 1980s, imports of coca have ranged from 56 metric tons to 588 metric tons a year. And that's just during the 80s. Wow. So I don't know how much of the coca flavoring does coke need? That's the other question. I'm guessing it, it could be a tiny not bit. a lot. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing like by these, you know, speaking as someone who is so fiercely loyal to Coke during my yeah. regular soda drinking days, like I'm guessing now, it, you know, it's mostly just sugar and. Oh, I think corn syrup is doing all of the heavy lifting in that beverage. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all, it's all been synthesized. So I'm, I'm guessing it's not a ton of Coca cultivation just because yeah, exactly. Coke, there's no way. I feel like all of us could be just blowing rails all day, every day. And we still wouldn't keep up with like the demands for what Coca-Cola would need. Oh yeah. Of course, Coca flavoring. So another fascinating side of this is, you know, the heist movie, obviously they're sitting on a big pile of cocaine in this factory. But the other thing that struck me is there's one plant in the entire United States that makes this key ingredient to Coca-Cola. Like you could win the cola wars with a single shot. Oh, that's such a good point. That was still a thing. Like, why hasn't Pepsi taken this place out? Exactly, yes. I mean, are there, are there cola wars still? Is that still a thing? I, I feel like it isn't. But in the think, 80s, when this article came out, I'm sure somebody at Pepsi was like, hang on, we could strike a blow. Oh my God. Well, that, that's the thing. I, you and I are, are pretty close in age and it was very much a thing in the 80s. I feel like now soda is such like a clearly unhealthy. Everyone knows that it's terrible for you. And so now it's like, mm, we're not going to, we're not going to shine too big of a spotlight on. Yeah. On I, I think now the war is like cola versus like um, the health of America, not cola versus. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're Pepsi, too busy trying to survive. Pepsi kind of their survival strategy was to diversify mm-hmm. because they own a lot of the fast food world and they like, they're just yep. a big company that owns everything. Yep. And Coke has, you know, expanded into other things as well, but. I think they're also know, like that, both in the bottled water market, which is destroying the earth right yeah i mean they have their competing bottled waters and basically they, they, stopped, they stopped fighting each other and started started fighting with real enemies our health and the environment uh, yeah yeah seriously i mean that's the thing I and mean, when i when i was a you know i used to drink a, a coke every day with my lunch and i always be like ah oh, stuff's terrible for you and i was like i know it's terrible for me yeah like this is my my one vice leave me my 12 ounces and just it's off i would still drink that every day over a diet soda this is a whole tangent that we don't need to go down, but I feel like the, the diet ones are even worse for you. But honestly, I think cocaine is probably healthier for you than whatever the hell they put in the diet. So. It, it probably, I mean, the, oh, you know, this is government supervised cocaine. This is like pure. That's the good stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's no like, I mean, I don't know if they put fentanyl in cocaine. I know they do in heroin, but like, you know, this is, they're not cutting this with 
baking powder or some nonsense. You're getting this is the real shit. So yeah, like you're pure cocaine I would, for science and for medical use. They don't want to. I like I've never tried cocaine, but if someone said like, "Hey, if I was visiting this lab, like we like you do like factory tours of like I've been to like, the Coors Brewery a couple times or." Whatever you get to have a sample at the end, like, <laughs> hey, you want to you want to do a bump of the the stuff straight from the line, then I would maybe consider it because I'm like, well, <laughs> this is this is the fresh clean stuff. I I do kind of like the uh, Pepsi angle, but I also think this is just a great setup for a heist movie. Yes, it's it's one of those things like I would imagine whoever wrote Ocean's Eleven probably found out the three casinos share a vault, and they were like, aha. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most protected place on earth. And it would probably be the biggest score imaginable if you could break into it. And then like mm-hmm. everything else just flowed from there. So this is the yes. same thing. You've got a massive supply of very pure cocaine. Go. Also, like, how, how did the like, I don't know, how is this never a Sopranos episode, but how did the real life New Jersey <laughs> Mafia never, they just, they just dropped the ball on this one, frankly. <laughs> Maybe they're the guys applying like the chemicals that you need to process the Coke. Well, that Maybe that's, that's where they've got their... Or maybe they, there. they've been, maybe that's where all that Coke goes, you know. <laughs> that's true. It can't all go to medical, you know, anesthesiologists. Uh, yeah, it's like, and yeah, there, I have so many questions about this factory. And I feel like it's Area 51 where we would just, we'll never know the extent of what goes on there. But I feel like my, my sense of when I was thinking on this for a heist movie, I feel like there are three routes to be taken for a heist movie. When I was thinking about this, my mind went to the episode of Breaking Bad where they steal, I forget what the chemical is from the factory that oh, they like used to make. Yeah, where that, that, you know, had been primarily used for like trucker speed before this. But like, you know, there's a whole episode where they're stealing these like canisters of it. So there's like the Breaking Bad angle, which could be like a dark, gritty sort of take on a heist movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, You're seeing like the ugly underbelly of the drug trade. Yeah, exactly. Or you could go the Coen's brother route where like, you know, it's kind of comic and, oh, yeah. you know, you have like inept criminals, like uh, you were talking about in your episode with the Chippendales, like the Chippendale murder. Uh, there's something to be done there. You know, the lady killers. Oh yeah. Well, inept, inept but, criminals is just movie gold. Yeah. I mean, it's always, it's always fun. That's just a fun way to do it. And then of course, going back to what you just talked about, there's the Ocean's Eleven format, which is kind of like a breezy, fun caper. Oh yeah, uh, you know, like top lined by like handsome or beautiful people. Yeah, for my money, that's also movie gold, which is just like the slicker than slick, like charming, beautiful people doing something exceedingly clever, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and just doing something clever and difficult with style and panache. Like mm-hmm. that's a fun thing, and it's a thing that you don't see that often. And when it is, it's just a joy to watch. Yeah, and that's why I mean, Ocean's Eleven is just such a delightful movie. You don't need to watch any other Ocean's movie after that. Yeah, but like it's it's very fun. They're all very clever and just it's pure charisma from from start to finish. So I think that would be good. But as I thought about that, I'm like, can you do that with cocaine? Because cocaine is just like an inherently I mean, no one's going to go to bat saying like cocaine is the greatest aside from people who have problems. But right. like, you know, could you make like a fun caper movie where like the target of the caper is something that is objectively bad, you know, whereas like money, money is like value neutral. Yeah, exactly. And a a casino's money is kind of the most like, like they had it coming, you know, they're, they're just taking it from people. It's it's just a legal scam basically. Mm -hmm. And you're stealing it from somebody like Donald Trump. Like, 
Right. Exactly. Like no one's going to feel sorry for any of those people. The moral of the Scorsese movie casino is that just running a casino honestly was more lucrative and more crooked than running a crooked casino. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you don't ever really feel bad about stealing from Andy Garcia. No, no. And, uh, but that is true. It is, it is tough to do a breezy cocaine movie unless, unless the real unless your... story is to, it's all a fake out to get at the coca extract to, uh, to take down Coca-Cola. No, see that that's an interesting, I really like that angle. So like out, you could, Pepsi's revealed to be the real villain behind it, or I mean, you you could use the Clash song that like I mean, there's just there's so much there's so many yeah. possibilities, but like you know, unless, or unless they were going to do something, they're stealing the cocaine to like. But even then, this isn't cocaine that's going to end up on the streets. This is going to like oh, I'm getting LASIK, so I need a you know anesthesia for my eye. Like that that's where this right, cocaine right. is going. So you're not even necessarily like saving people. Unless you're like really stealing from the medical industry, which, okay. So I looked up this company that is, is making the the cocaine. They, according to Wikipedia, their key generic specialty products include hydrocodone, oxycodone, you know, lots of like, just not cool things. I mean, granted some people who have tremendous pain need oxycodone and stuff like that. My sister's a physical therapist. She bemoans the fact like how hard it is to prescribe oxycontin for some people who are in tremendous pain but nevertheless you know but the the reason it's so hard is because they've abused this by pushing up people don't need it you know flooding the market exactly yeah so you know i don't feel bad for them well then you've got somebody you don't feel bad for stealing from yeah but then it's still a little bit hard to root for our heroic people to like you know flood the streets with cocaine (laughs) <laughs> right. It's like, okay, you're, you're stealing from Farmer, but what are you doing with all this cocaine then? We're basically telling people to like root for the CIA in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to root for the CIA in the eighties. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Now that I think about it, maybe it, it's tougher to do the breezy fun one. Uh, unless they're just, I just don't know what the motivation would be to steal medical cocaine unless you're trying to sell it. Yeah, unless it's, you know, a lucrative street drug. I don't, there's no real other. Yeah. Or like you're going to take it and dump it in the ocean for some reason just to like stick it to a pharma company. But it's not like they're not getting a huge shipment of coca leaves the next day to make more right, of it. Exactly, yeah. No, it almost, um, it almost has to be like a Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. both in terms of motivation and also in terms of like the type of heist. Because the other great heist in Breaking Bad was the train. Mm-hmm. Where they drain some of the chemical from the tank and replace right. it, so nobody even notices. And it's and there needs to be that sort of thing where they identify, like, oh, they're sitting on all this cocaine. They're only using some of it for medical reasons. There's this just un, you know, touched supply of pure cocaine mm-hmm. that we can get to. I think it is pretty much nefarious reasons. Mm-hmm. This is probably why most heist movies are just stealing cash or bars. <laughs> right. Yeah, because you you know everybody wants money, right? It's like, like, I'll think about all the lives we can destroy when we sell this cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like, you could do a Coen Brothers thing too, where you could have guys who are up to nefarious goals but are still incompetent. But yeah, and then the more I think about it, I don't know if the Ocean's Eleven approach really works. But I do love. You know, obviously the whole hook for Breaking Bad was like he was dying and he was trying to make money for his family because he was going to be dying from cancer. There could be a an ostensibly noble goal behind stealing all this cocaine, uh, but it's still going to end up at 
in the streets or, or wherever. Yeah. And when that the whole sort of moral of, you know, of Breaking Bad is that this ostensibly noble goal just immediately corrupts him and yeah, it know. turns into a monster. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I feel like it's hard to not steer into that territory with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that was my sense of like, you know, the, the different routes that you can take for but something I, like this. And I think the in, incompetent criminals, you could just have a bunch of coked up idiots trying to, you know, who like stumble onto, oh, this is what they're making in this factory. Like imagine all the Coke we can have. We love Coke. Let's go get more Coke. You know, like Coke heads is dark of drug as cocaine is like Coke heads are uh, a punchline in a lot of entertainment. You, you could go back to the night of the Roxbury SNL era where Will Ferrell and uh, Chris Kattan would be like, you know, scratching their nose all the time. The sketch is there right, like right. sort of hint that they were coked up to like, I don't know. There, there's just, there are a lot of ways you could make that funny. It's a drug that turns you into even more of an asshole than you were before you took it. Exactly. And so there's, yeah. some, there's some entertainment value in that. And also gives yeah. you like a lot of confidence in your bad ideas. Yes. Which explains yes. like a whole couple of decades of movie making. <laughs> which is, uh, like think I about remember. somebody who was like in the frame of mind Stephen King was when he made Maximum Overdrive. Oh my God. Trying I was to just going to say hype. Maximum Overdrive. Uh, <laughs> well, somebody described because... the movie as being directed by a sentient pile of cocaine. <laughs> Because um, God, a million years ago at the AV Club, we did an inventory on ridiculous horror movie, not bad guys, but evil things in horror movies. And I wrote about the the vending machine and Maximum Overdrive because it was like it was like shooting cans of coke at people, and like it was so, that movie's so terrible on so many levels. And I remember Keith Phipps, who was the editor at the time, was like, "Oh yeah, like you know." The story is that Stephen King was just coked up out of his mind when he when well, the movie was made. He has no memory of even directing that movie. Oh my god, so good! And the source yeah. material is like the story kind of doesn't make any sense, no. and it's from the era when he was just like coked up and putting out twenty books a year, and just like, okay, what kind of makes scary cars? Done, you know, boats well, done, like fish. Got like just anything you turn to a horror story. So it was kind of a thin premise to begin with. Then mm-hmm. just gets amped up into like every lot of electronic devices attacking us for some reason. Well, and then at the very end, it's like, oh, it turns out there was a spaceship behind a comet. Yeah, that'll do. And that's <laughs> just like the end card. It's just like, what? Oh, God, that movie's so terrible. Yeah, there's a phenomenon in bad movies, which I think of like, okay, you have 10 minutes to end the movie starting now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like, okay, well, yeah. whatever we can make up. Uh, right. But totally. th- those, those all seem like good ideas when you're in cocaine, as does robbing a factory in Maywood, New Jersey. Exactly. And I just picture like these guys just being so hyper and being like, oh, and then we'll do this. And like thinking their physical prowess is like something like far superior than it is. Like they're, well, 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 obviously I can just like hop that fence and climb it and then like repel through a skylight or something. And then it's just like, you know, they get there and they're immediately injured. <laughs> and like, <there's, laughs> I feel like there could be a come down pretty quickly for, for our cokeheads as they, they try to take on this this factory yeah well so i feel like probably keep talking about the inept criminals angle and maybe the dark breaking bad angle too uh but do you mm-hmm. have any anybody in mind to direct either mode so you know obviously the the coen brothers could do something with this even though it's not a period piece i feel like i would love to see them do something contemporary and you could uh, also do it as an 80s period piece like when the story breaks that's true that's, that's also true it was like at its peak 
Well, in 1988, that like somebody uh, in Jersey sees this story in the New York Times is like, there's a, this, we know where this place is. Let's just go get it. Yeah. Like just like, do like guys who live in Maywood, New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. So, you know what? Nope. Cohen's back on board. They, they can, they can do uh they can do period for the late eighties. You know, I, I put Soderbergh down on here, obviously for the breezy approach, but uh, now that we don't think that's necessarily an option and, you know, this might be kind of a left field one, but I put Bong Joon-ho on here because there was something about, you know, Parasite that had like heist elements to it. That, oh, sure. uh, it, was, it was, they were pulling off a long con. Yeah, exactly. And I would really love to see a non-American direct a story like this to see like what, how they would frame it and how, how they would do it. I don't know. There's yeah. just something interesting to me. Especially on this American icon, this sort of global American icon that is Coca-Cola. Yeah. I feel like something interesting you can do with that. It's funny. I was thinking of Parasite 2 because I'm jumping ahead to Casp. When I was thinking about this sort of slick approach, I was just thinking of like who were like just good looking stylish actors who could do this kind of thing. But on mm-hmm. that list was Park Sodam from, from Parasite because I don't even know if she speaks English or could do this as an American film. Mm-hmm. But she was so good at like slipping from one character to the other and you know, pulling off the con. And I realize that's what yeah. I have to do. Right. But to stand out doing that, you know, you have to be really good at it. Yeah, totally. There's something as well with Bong's credits where he, like the host had like this whole thing about American imperialism undertone to it. Oh, or, yeah. You yeah. know, like uh, that could just really work with the soda angle here. Well, I think, um, I think what you want, I think what you need in any story, a book, a movie, anything is to have like plot and story like you know moby dick the plot is that a guy's trying to catch a whale but the story is that his obsession is driving him to madness and like mm-hmm. mad men the plot is a guy works in an ad agency but the story is that he's created this whole fictitious life for himself and like mm-hmm. you know you, you need somebody you need a director who's going to see what is the underlying story here and like yeah he's he's so good at making those movies with layers to them yeah and i mean like you just think of like and Parasite, the whole like class divide. I mean, there's certainly could have uh, elements of that here too. I don't know. It felt sort of left field to me, but not really. Cause I was just like, oh yeah, I really, cause I, I, my, yeah, I think your mind normally goes through like the usual suspects for directors for something like this. And I don't know, I would really like to do something a little different with this story. Like I'm a producer who can make this happen. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> It's just hilarious to me to be like, ah, oh, you know, I know like Coen Brothers could do it, but what if we, yeah, anyway, sorry. Right, it's right. just, uh, just hearing myself speak about this makes me laugh. Well, it's funny because um, in some episodes of the show, it's complete fancy casting. Like, oh, can we bring this guy back from the dead? Mm, you know, we mm-hmm. de-age her by 30 years. And then sometimes it's like, wait, wait, can we get this guy? <laughs> right. <laughs> For our right, because- imaginary movie. Yeah, because, Uh-oh. you know, when I was thinking of actors, it was the same kind of thing where I was like, oh, you know, I wonder if they would be available for a role of this kind. And it's like, anyone's available right now. And this is pure well, exactly, fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for my director list, when I was thinking kind of breezy, I had Ryan Johnson. He's another director who takes an existing genre and kind of puts his own stamp on it because he did Brick that was a noir, but also kind of a high school movie. He oh, did, so good. Like, knives out as his drawing mystery. This is the other thing. He's done a bunch of different types of crime films. Mm-hmm. Is he did the drawing room mystery and knives out, and the Brothers Bloom has a heist as part of it, but it's really more about con artists. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a sort of straight, dirty, rotten scoundrels. And even the heist itself is just a fake out. 
So it would be fun to see what he could do with the heist movie where the heist is actually the point of it. And mm-hmm. looking up his credits, he actually directed a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. Mm. So oh, yeah, that's right. Dark, he did. We're doing the darker tone. I feel like he could probably do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good call. Even that show, as dark as it was overall, it had a lot of, you know, like Skinny Pete and Badger were just comic relief uh, figures. Yeah, totally. And, you know, Jesse could be very funny. And like, you mm-hmm. kind of, you don't have to completely choose between inept criminals and the mm-hmm. dark side of this because they kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else that I had sort of strictly in the breezy column was Justin Lin, who has directed like mm. several Fast and Furiouses. And he did a few episodes of True Detective and the best mm, Star Trek movie in a long time. So he's good at working with like, you know, like a big cast of people working together to pull off some improbable thing, whether it's mm. or you know, Fast Cars or whatever. Mm-hmm. But his, his first movie, Better Luck Tomorrow, was like a crime movie with a very interesting, a bunch of Asian honor students we're like selling test scores and they get into this sort of oh, yes. time. And that was his first or second film, J- John Cho got to start. And I actually went to the, went to college with the lead in it. So that movie is kind of dear to my heart. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. We weren't like great friends, but I, I knew him. And then like a couple of years later, he's the star of, the, of this. And I think he's on general hospital now. And so that was, I think kind of started off as a breed, like, Ooh, look at these smart kids fooling everybody. And mm-hmm. then things go bad. And it, it, it is kind of almost like a breaking bad storyline within that two hour movie. What seems like, oh, look, aren't we clever? It is kind of a breezy scam. And then it just, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I feel like it starts off as kind of a breezy, clever kind of scam. And then as they get deeper into crime, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so that is the kind of thing you could explore here. And because he's been doing these like almost superhero-esque Fast and Furious, because that series has gotten more ridiculous as it's gone on. <laughs> right. I see him do something more grounded. Yeah, and then if totally. we're Going if we're going straight up Breaking Bad, this may be a little too on the nose. But Michelle McLaren, who directed more episodes of that show than anybody else, directed Game of Thrones, and mm. she's just somebody who um, I think I brought up in the show a couple times because she did such good work on TV. She was considered for Wonder Woman, or even hired, I think, and then fired by the studio. That's right, because they didn't think she could do the epic sweep they wanted. Like she directed like the Battle of the Bastards. Like it's not yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. She was working on, like a quiet kitchen sink drama. Um, but they hired Patty Jenkins to replace her and it all worked out in the end but but I feel like she's somebody who deserves another shot at at the big screen oh yeah because she's done almost exclusively TV but she's kind of one of the top TV directors it's it's almost like you know like a college coach or like oh when are they going to get hired by the pros yeah because they keep winning the the, you know March Madness or whatever yeah totally casting for this one is a little bit wide open because there aren't any specific people you know, there are a couple of people you need to have. I think, you, you know, you want your gang of criminals. You probably want some people who work in the cocaine lab factory. Maybe you want like the the law on their tail. Or maybe it's a Tarantino type movie where the law doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. My brain, you know, went to, you know, unsurprisingly like protagonists and, you know, who I could see in this. The first name I came up with, I think it's purely because I like him so much and I want to see him and more things is uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who I think could do the Breaking Bad or the Coen brothers approach. Well, I, I think um, Lakeith Stanfield can do anything. Like two running things in this show are, it is just an excuse. The whole show is just an excuse for like actors you like, who you think need more work and deserve to be in better mm-hmm. things to give them a shout out. And the second running thing is Lakeith Stanfield is the best actor we have right oh, now. He can do it. Just so good. And 
you know, I uh, recently watched Judas and the Black Messiah and God, he's so good in that. And he's so good in Atlanta. He's, been, he's just good in everything. And my wife and I both joke that we each have crushes on him. Like, <laughs> like, like he's just so good. And like, well, I could it's, see it's him. Three, it's been three years and I'm still angry that Sorry to Bother You wasn't nominated for anything when it should have been nominated for everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he, uh, I don't know. I just, he's someone I put in this and just be like, okay, if we want to play it more comic or we want to play it darker, he could do it both. And probably both within the same character. With the same- yeah, yeah, totally. Like I just trust that guy like implicitly as far as like his performance goes. And I just feel like he can, he can do whatever. And I say this as someone was literally never met him never spoken to him oh, <laughs> like, sure, but, but like performance wise i just like i just i feel like he could he could do it yeah, yeah. but that's the thing we are you know they're actors we're kind of talking to as abstractions from the work we've seen him do but we've seen him do some terrific work and yeah anyway i think he'd be great like when i was thinking more of the like straight coen brothers approach i uh jason sudeikis was someone who came to mind just because I, I could feel like he could do that sort of daffy charming rogue kind of thing but like also being like sort of clueless about himself oh yeah you know and maybe it's just because i'm I'm just like oh ted lasso could do (laughs) this kind of thing but you could Uh, could make this a straight up snl movie and put like i think bill Hader could probably do a great cokehead and like kate mckinnon oh yeah i mean of course yeah if you went like a straight comedy for something like this yeah, I mean, there's a there's a wealth of those folks who could. Uh, that's that's one thing I like about this idea. There's a, you could do a very broad range of tones. Mm-hmm. You could do a very silly incompetent criminals. You could do a drier Cohen's type incompetent criminals. You could do a very dark. Uh, you know, New Jersey in the '80s was not the most wholesome place in America. Yeah, and I I don't know if it's just like I had him on my brain just because of it's award season and Ted Lasso was getting getting lots of attention and also my old place here uh, in LA that I just moved from a few months ago, he and Olivia Wilde lived just like a five minute walk from us so I would see oh, wow. him every now and then, which was fun in a weird way, just being like, hey, all right. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, he was someone, just cause I, I feel like he could carry the Coen brothers tone. Well, I and, think Incompetent Criminals, I also had um, Pete Davidson and still sticking with SNL. And uh, Manny Jacinto from The Good Place. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, he was a great incompetent criminal on that show. And, and you could also just see him as being like a coked up maniac. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, no, actually, lived in Florida. if you want to go full on coked up maniac, uh, Jason Manzoukas. Jason Manzoukas is another person that I would put in everything if I had the power to do so. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, just because I love him so much. Yeah, if we're talking coked up maniacs, you would be, you'd be perfect. And I think my, my two biggest gets for this show, if it ever gets big enough, are Manzoukas because he's so entertaining, but he's also like a movie podcast guy mm. uh, and Obama. <laughs> and, and I mentioned to my 12 year old, like Obama was like the best get. And he's like, what if you could get God? Well, yeah, that's a like, tough one to top. I don't know who his booking guy is, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't even get past God's publicist. It's so tough. You know, I'll, um, settle, I'll, I'll settle for That's plenty. Yeah, Manzoukas is great. Uh, in fact, one of the times I was, when I was working doing TV and development for The Onion, I'd have to come out to LA all the time. And I saw him having dinner with Nick Kroll one time uh, where I was eating dinner. And we both happened to go to the bathroom. 
at the same time and he was coming out and I was going in and I, I managed to say, Hey, Nong man to him, which was a, you know, as a longtime comedy bang bang fan, I was very excited to be able to, <laughs> to say that to him. And he, oh yeah. He said, he said, Hey, Nong man. And we both just passed each other and, and I don't know. It was great. I was very happy. He, me- he mentioned in his uh, Mark Marin interview, he lived in the East Village at the same time I did and went to the same record store. And I was like, I was probably in that record store with Manzoukas. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, he would be great. Um, and I had, I had some more, I had a couple like surprising ones, I think. Oh yeah, let's hear because those are always the good ones. Uh, I had Stephen Young from uh, Minari and uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who I think is a versatile actor and does the dark stuff well he can do comedy too he's the second city guy chicago and um and he's also just somebody who's very really talented and like i think deserves better or more roles than he's getting totally totally and he um he's in a very funny uh episode of i think you should leave so you know he has some comic talents but i also think he could do like this the the dark like you know i I like to think about like what would his motivation be like what you know because i I can see him being unhinged and and, you know and i think it's maybe it's just from his years on the walking dead where people are at the end of their ropes in every single episode but i like him and then my other one because as i was doing this i was like why are all of these ideas dudes because there's no reason why it would have to be yeah yeah like a, a male enterprise and one of the first things I came up with, which uh, surprised me, was Lena Waite, who you know, oh, yeah. had a very specific sort of character and look about her where I think like she could pull off. I don't know, in, in this hypothetical world, I don't know, I don't think Lena Waite opens a movie, but I think <laughs> she would be like, you know, could be co-lead, could be, I, I don't know who else, would, like maybe she is the lead. I don't know. I just, I like her because she's tough. But there's also a sort of vulnerability to her. And she's also, you know, a writer, obviously. I feel like, you know, she could do interesting things with the script. She was just one of the first people I thought of because I'm not really sure why she was one of the first people I thought of, but she came to mind and I was like, oh yeah, that could be really interesting with her. Yeah. Sometimes there, um, is, there isn't a clear reason, just somebody seems like a good fit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I had a couple more women... I had Tessa Thompson because of the, we're just putting the entire cast of Sorry to Bother You in this thing. <laughs> but right. she's also just somebody who, like, can be funny, can be tough, can be... Like, she could do the slick version of this. She could do the dark version of this. I think she could probably do the Incognitive Criminals version of this. Sure. And maybe a less obvious choice was uh, Caitlin Dever from Booksmart. Oh, okay. Because sure. I feel like to do this, you know, if you're doing this kind of heist, you kind of want some, like, the, the fresh-faced innocent who mm-hmm. is going to, you know, who no one's going to suspect. And she's also right. somebody who she was so good in that. And she's done a few things here and there since then, but sort of isn't getting big roles. And I think deserves it because, because she was terrific in that movie. Mm-hmm. I've seen her in. And I, I blew my James Wood joke early in the show, but I feel like this is about cocaine. You got to get him in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I also don't want to give that guy any money. No, no. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just wanted to go back to that joke. Um, but like on an ensemble level, somebody else I thought of was Zazy Beats. Oh yeah, uh, just going to uh, again like if we're pulling from the Atlanta well with Lucky Stanfield, like I really like her, and she's been sort of bubbling up a little more now. And uh, I don't know, I feel like she would be she could be really good uh, as part of an ensemble. And that's then because of this, you can make the ensemble doing the heist kind of as big as you want, and you can also decide how much time you want to spend inside the. You know, do you have actual characters inside the factory? 
Or is it basically just just a target and you don't really care? The people are just, or, or you're breaking into it at night when the people aren't there because that's the plan or something. I guess it kind of depends thematically if you're doing something with the people who work in this place. Mm-hmm. It has to be a weird job to process cocaine legally <laughs> or, you know, eye surgery and Coca-Cola. Like, Yeah, exactly. And, I, and the New York Times story says that everybody's like super background checked and I'm sure, oh, yeah. you know, you have to be so clean but that doesn't mean you can't those people are are untouchable i feel like you could still get to them <laughs> you know oh, like yeah you know you just you just have to find but you know you, you can start off as clean as you want and then something goes wrong and you need money and you get desperate and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then like you're like all right i can help get you lots of cocaine <laughs> right exactly i do feel like you know, I, I, my mind goes to like the Lufthansa heist and uh, Goodfellas where like, you know, they had Frenchie was on the inside there. Like, I feel like you do need an inside person yeah, to, yeah. to like, to make it happen. Because otherwise it just seems like you'd have to run up on this place with overwhelming force to get it. And I don't see that happening. No. And I, I feel like it's not a very good plan to just call attention. Yeah, to right. Yeah, exactly. You, you want yeah, to exactly. really find some, some clever way to sneak in and some clever way to get the cocaine out. And I don't know what that is, totally. but you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be uh, one of the worst people to plan heist. <laughs> well, I feel like if we spent more than an hour on this script, I think we could probably hammer something out. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You're probably right. I think we should use the method from uh, one of my favorite lines in the David Mamet movie heist is Gene Hackman says, I tried to imagine a fellow clever than myself and thought, what would he do? <laughs> so good. Oh. I think that has like the most mammity dialogue of any David Mamet movie. Yeah, money. That's why they call it money. I mean, like it just stomped all over the fine line between clever and stupid. Yeah, the uh, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like the high water mark for me is always going to be Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah I'll take kind of, I'll take whatever he wants to dish out. So those are my actors, pretty much. But do you do you have anything else? No, I mean, you know, I, I've had some brief notes on like what their motivations would be. You know, if it's, is it like a need for money versus like just greed? I don't know if there's a third possibility there that's motivating these folks. I think especially that, if the incompetent criminals route, it could just be that they really like cocaine. Yes, that's true. Cocaine. I'm just going to put that on my, on my list here. <laughs> the motivation <laughs> is cocaine. But, but money is like, that's an easy motivation to explain. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can be poor and want money. You can be rich and want money. Well, I feel like there's a whole other layer to this story too, is like, okay, now you have, say... I, I don't know how much cocaine this place produces, but say you have a hundred pounds of cocaine that you're sitting on. Like, what do you do with it? Like, you know, like that scene in office space where they're like looking up the, the oh, dictionary what? definition of, of money laundering so they could understand what it is. Like, I, you could have, like, if someone came and dropped off a whole bunch of Coke, they're just like, oh yeah, this cocaine is worth, you know, $50 million. It's like, great. I don't know what to, do with it <laughs> like you, oh, yeah. you got to find the, the fence to take it out and, and uh well i love that bit in in uh in transpotting when they just sort of a brick of heroin lands in their lap yeah regular's character is the only one who realizes we're a bunch of idiots and we don't have any idea what to do with this yeah it, it was funny you mentioned transpotting because that was something that came up too as like sort of the incompetent criminals who would also that they kind of straddle the line between incompetent criminals and also like Hey, cocaine, because like <laughs> you know, in in uh, train spotting, they're heroin junkies, and they 
find some shit that's really good. Like they could have just been like, yeah, this is going to be, this is ours. Keep us high for a while. Well, I also think if you do set this in the eighties, it's such an era of conspicuous consumption Mm -hmm. where like cocaine and money and, you know, sort of a high roller lifestyle was just being, was just kind of being like broadcasted you everywhere. This is what you should want. I'm, I'm not a big Billy Joel fan, but the most succinct and biting criticism of the eighties ever written is ain't you heard about the new style of honey? All you need to looks in a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of the tenor of the, of the times. And so I don't know. I've, I, I kind of have a vague idea coming together, but I feel like you could put together the cultural juggernaut that Coca-Cola was at that time mm-hmm. at the height of the, you know, the cola wars <laughs> and this association of like lots of money and cocaine as being like the, you know, sort of pinnacle success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two, uh, or I don't know why I said two, but some sketchy people from New Jersey. New Jersey is just inherently aspirational because it's in between other bigger things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a commuter's mm-hmm. quarter between New York and Philadelphia, but like <laughs> every Bruce Springsteen song is about getting out of New Jersey and going somewhere better. Right. And it's a punchline. It's, it's always been a punchline. Yeah, like, to the point where it's like Born to Run was nearly our state song. It's about getting out of the state. But I, and I do think one of the reasons that his stuff is universal is almost wherever you're from, you want to get out of there and go somewhere else. Of course. So there is a universality to it, but, (laughs) uh, but especially like now, you know, New Jersey's just very expensive real estate and good schools and, you know, where you move when you're priced out of Brooklyn, which is what I did, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have that quite that CD quality. So if you do set this in the eighties, A, you can lure in the Coens with some period you know, a previous guest, we talked about the Yiddish Policeman's Union, which was a Michael Chabon, mm-hmm. the Coens bought the rights for and haven't made, and we want them to make it. But the guest talked about how language is so important to them, mm-hmm. partly in terms of like this gorgeous dialogue they write, but also as a way of setting the scene. Like language is almost the landscape of their movies. And, they have, you know, like North Midwestern dialect in Fargo or the... Uh, you know, sort of old-timey Southern slang, and oh, brother, where art thou? And like the way their mm-hmm. characters talk is very important to the characters, but also very important to just setting the time and place. And so I feel like you could do something with the way people talked in New Jersey in the 80s. Oh, for sure. You know, to lure for them. sure. Yeah, there's a lot to work with there. And then you 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 kind of have the like Bong Joon-ho class conflict underpinnings of, you know, New, New Jersey is like sort of literally and metaphorically looking up at the skyline <laughs> you know, of New York, mm-hmm. where the money mm-hmm. and the pain is like, they're right. Yeah. But there, you know, that, that's, I think all you need for motivation and maybe you can get more personal. With it's the like character. looking across, but like, yeah, just looking across at like, well, this is where the real successful people are and the real mm-hmm. parties are. And we're mm-hmm. just a couple of schmucks, you know, stuck here. We um, can't get cabs to go across the bridge to take us home. Yeah, exactly. But we could, if we stole 20 tons of cocaine, you know, or we can have yeah. whichever way you want to go with that. Right. Yeah. I, I like this idea. I, I think it needs, I think it needs to happen. I have uh, no pull in the future space, but. <laughs> the dream is always that somebody will call us up and be like, you too, who did that podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're... yeah I need, I need a, a treatment by, by Wednesday morning. Like, yeah, right, exactly. And then we, and then we stay up all night writing and the cocaine could have come in handy. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, wait, now this is all making sense. <laughs> Really, it's really go method on this. Yeah, exactly. But prob- probably not a, ba- a great idea. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I just I can't even imagine what I would be like in that situation. It sounds terrible. We have become the incompetent criminals that we 
<laughs> yeah, seriously. I just, I, I just like feel like my already like baseline anxiety level. I feel like I would have the opposite effect of me. Like if I were ever on cooking, I wouldn't feel like, yeah, I can take on the world. I'd be like, oh my God, everything is terrible. And what are we going to do? <laughs> like, I think oh, exactly. Yeah, it would just be like, it would not, I don't think it would have that effect on me. I feel like if you're neurotic, it's probably going to make you way more neurotic. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, I've, I've gone this long. I, with, you will exactly feel like, with the feeling in my heart that it's, it's not for me. I think I, I will carry on down that path. Yeah, exactly. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Don't do drugs. So that's our movie. Thanks again to Kyle Ryan. Check out Banding Bureau on Instagram and Substack and uh, join the mailing list for some like wonderfully awful band names. If you have any thoughts on Coke, the beverage or the drug or ideas for other movies that need to get made, hit us up on Twitter at YMovie. You can find my column, Wookie Wormhole, in the AV Club every Sunday. You can read student journalism, hear college radio, and listen to other lesser podcasts on our parent website, subjectmedia.org. Stay safe out there. Keep wearing a mask. Keep yourself sane. We'll be back next time on Why, 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 why is this not a movie?